morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, Greetings to those here today and listening on the radio. A few announcements just to share with you and and things to highlight. Uh, Many things in the bulletin. Please look those over. Uh, We have about 10 of our youth at Young Life at the present time. Please pray for them and our fearless youth leader (laughs) who is celebrating her birthday while up there. So uh, think of Tori and and uh, and her and our kids up in Michigan uh, at Young Life. The Roses, we have four of them there. Wedding anniversaries to celebrate this week. Roger and Ruby. Is, is that a misprint? 68 years? Is that right? Oh, wow. I, I, <laughs> Truly a blessing to see how active you guys after being married for 68 years. Truly blessing. It's great to see. The Longsworths, 53 years. On the 20th. Congratulations, Larry and Becky. Roger and Marilee Everson, celebrating 61 years. And Robert and Joanne Wilkins, celebrating 61 years on June 24th. Uh, we, um, we also welcome back to First Church Wayne and Valerie who serve in West Asia with Wycliffe. They will be sharing with us today about their mission work and will also be available after church for anyone that would like to learn and talk with them a little bit more what they're doing and share with them. We're also looking for some volunteers to help run the sound system. If you want more information about that or, or might be able to help with that, please see Bob Grimes or Greg Kramer. Would you please rise and join me in the call to worship? The call to worship this morning is taken from the book of Psalms. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done with what is evil in your sight. So you are right if you are very and justified when you judge. Yet you desire unfaithfulness, excuse me, yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now let us sing our opening hymn, number 210, Jesus Paid It All.
And now we'll have the children chat. When they're coming forward, please say hello to those near you. Good morning. So what special day is it today? Father's Day. Day. That's right. Grandpa or Daddy opened his gift after breakfast. Cool. What is your favorite thing to do with your dad? What's your favorite thing to do with Daddy, Josie? What do you like to do with Daddy? You like to share with him? What do you share with? Do you share your cookies with Daddy? Do you? Cool. And cupcakes. And cupcakes. Does Daddy like cupcakes? Yeah. You don't have any right now? That's okay. What do you like to do with your dad, Ann? Ooh, share ice cream with Dad. What do you kids like to do with Dad? Throw baseball. John, what do you like to do with Dad? Go golfing. Awesome. Well, for those history people out there, did you know the first Father's Day didn't officially happen until 1972? I thought it had been around longer than that. Um, Let's see. In the Bible, it gives us the Ten Commandments, and it helps. What? I like to play baseball. You like to play baseball with Dad? Okay. Now, in the Bible... God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and one of those Ten Commandments says that we're supposed to honor our father and mother. How do we honor somebody? Do you guys have any idea? How do you honor somebody? Um, if you're praying. You, you can do it by praying for your dad? That's right. Honoring. my dad, too. You can? Mommy. Yeah, don't forget about mom. Moms need prayers, too. You're right. When we listen... Obey, love, and appreciate. That is how we're honoring our dads. Okay? And when dad asks us to do something, we should probably just do it and not complain. That's honoring dad. And you know a great way to honor dad? Is to give him hugs. Does your dad like hugs? Yeah. Yeah? Love is the best gift. That's right. You can give dads hugs no matter how old you are. Even when you get to be like 14, it's still cool to give your dad a hug. Okay? And 19. 19 is good, too. And when you're two, you definitely give the best hugs when you're two. Okay? But are dads perfect? Is your dad perfect? Well, most of the time, dads are perfect, but sometimes they mess up. And part of honoring our dad is is forgiveness. You see, because especially if you're the oldest, it's dad's first time around being a dad. And they don't always know what they're doing. So we got to cut them a little slack. Right, Parker? Yeah. Okay. So that's honoring our father, though, whenever we show forgiveness. Okay? So if a dad asks us to do something, we need to help him out. We need to listen to him, we need to obey him, and we need to love him. And those are things that we do with our earthly father here. But we also have a heavenly father. Who is our heavenly father? 
God is our heavenly father. Yeah. And he's there watching out for us. And he's there with us all the time, too. So on this Father's Day, we have an earthly father who we can do things with and give hugs and play games with. But we have a heavenly father who is there watching over us all the time, too. Okay? Excuse me. So we need to remember that on this Father's Day, we need to honor our dads. Okay? So let's say a quick prayer for all those dads, and we can't forget the grandpas, too. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our earthly fathers and grandfathers. Thank you for how hard they work and how they're always there for us. Thank you for our Heavenly Father who is watching over us and keeping us safe. Please be with all these dads and grandpas this day and all year through. Keep them happy, healthy, and safe. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great day, guys. Last week in Nangarhar province in Afghanistan, the following soldiers were killed. Keep their families and friends in your prayers and in your minds. Sergeant Eric M. Hauk, 25, from Baltimore, Maryland. Sergeant William M. Bays, 29, from Barstow, California. Corporal Dylan C. Baldridge, 22, from Youngsville, North Carolina, and on Friday or early Saturday morning, we lost seven sailors aboard the USS Bainbridge off, I'm sorry, USS Fitzgerald off the coast of Japan. I do not have their names. Thanks, Jay. Uh, just want to make a quick announcement before I invite Wayne and Valerie forward to share about their, their um, ministry. Uh, we just received word right at the start of the service that Gene Rediger passed away this morning. As many of you know, he's been dealing with cancer. And so I uh, just wanted to make that known. Uh, right now, I, I don't have the information in front of me, but it looks like services may be viewing Wednesday evening and, and funeral possibly Thursday morning. So uh, we wanted to pass that information on and ask you to be praying for, for Gene's family at the time of their loss. Uh, with that being said, I, I do want to take this time to invite Wayne and Valerie forward. Uh, they're here to share about their, their ministry, and we're going to give them a few minutes. So thank you. Let's welcome them this morning. Good morning. Through several waves of invasions by the ancient Assyrians and Babylonians, many Jews were forcibly t- removed from their homeland and taken as slaves and prisoners to uh, Assyria and Babylon, which in modern times would be uh, Syria, eastern Turkey, Iraq, and western Iran. They lost everything except their deeply rooted belief in the one creator God, Yahweh. God used that devastating time in uh, Jewish history to export the rituals, customs, and beliefs of the Israelites to many other lands and peoples. Further invasions by the Persians forced many Jews to migrate even further east to present-day Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India. 
A few months back, while working through some portions of Exodus, one of our co-workers told the following story. The people of our mountain region have this custom. We sacrifice a sheep for a certain festival, but we're told to do it at night and in a hurry, and we must not break any of its bones. We take the blood of the sacrificed sheep, and we put some of it on the flap of our tent. We are told that the blood keeps away evil spirits. Where this custom comes from, no one knows. But we know, don't we? Um, Does this sound familiar, this story of the the blood on the (laughs) doorpost? What a wonderful open door for people to fully understand the meaning of Exodus and the sacrificial system, which must have come to them by the Jews who were taken from their homeland and then they, you know, brought to that region and passed those customs on to the local people. God promised Abraham that his descendants would be a blessing to the nations, and he's done that through them. He has blessed the nations. We also see that God has been at work in the people of West Asia long before we or any of our colleagues ever set foot there. Please pray with us that as these mountain people begin to understand why they are doing the sacrifices in this particular manner, that they will also understand and accept this ceremony was meant to be a picture of the sacrifice made once for all in the um, death of our Lord Jesus on the cross and that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and by believing in him, they'll have life in his name. So I grew up in uh, St. Mary's, and I met Valerie at Asbury University. After a few years of youth ministry in North Carolina, we began our training with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and three years later, we began a Wycliffe assignment in West Asia. So Wycliffe is committed to providing scriptures to all the people groups in the language that they understand best, and in the forms that they'll use the most, and will, which will also help them grow in their knowledge and understanding about Jesus. I'll never forget that first day when the plane, or when our plane touched down on the runway in West Asia. The emotions, the sights, the sounds, the smells, it was all quite amazing. Our boys were nearly two and five, and now they're almost 22 and 25. They're off on their own, and, and we have a lovely daughter-in-law as well. So just as things have changed dramatically for our family over these these years, um, much has changed for the Lotari people. Twenty years ago, the Lotari people had no alphabet. They had no literature in the language. Our linguistic research helped them to develop an alphabet. We trained men and women how to develop and run a literacy program. A little over ten years ago, the first ever literacy curriculum, which included hundreds of booklets, were designed with their cultural values in mind. Other Lotari productions include uh, two dictionaries, uh, a collection of folk tales, a book of poetry, uh, a DVD that contained musical recordings that kind of blended traditional instruments and melodies with some contemporary variations. Very popular among the people there. Also, about 175 preschool children are currently enrolled uh, in, in a two-year program. They're representing four different, uh, four different villages. Um, And in this two-year program, they are learning how to read and write first in Lotari, and then how to apply those skills in learning to read and write in the national language and in English. 
So I contacted Barry, he's the head of this literacy program back in April, and I presented to him the idea of translating some portions of scripture, mostly focusing on biblical characters like Abraham, Joseph, um, Moses, Ruth, and of course Jesus. And amazingly, Barry agreed. You see, Barry is not a believer, and neither is anyone on his staff. Fortunately, we're not the first ones to be in such a situation. We have... We know of colleagues who are working with translators who are not believers. But think about it. Working at a computer in depth with the scriptures day in and day out. What a glorious opportunity God has to work in the hearts of the translator and others that are involved in the process. I'd ask that you would be praying for, for this, a new, this new effort. Uh, there are no guarantees of this initiative. Uh, will lead to the results we're hoping for. The, there, there are many very serious and very significant obstacles that we have to overcome. The challenges are numerous and the risks are great. Regardless of what we achieve in the next few years, whether we're able to be productive or not, it really is in the Lord's hands. It, it, this is his mission. He alone has the, the power to transform hearts and minds. But because of what we've seen him do in us and through us and in these communities, and the doors that he's opened, we are absolutely confident that he will that he will keep his promise. That he will finish the work that he's begun in, uh, in the lives of the Latati people. That he will see God's word available to them. And that he will bring living water to a dry and arid land. We're so thankful to the way that you, our family in Christ here at First Church, have been ministering to us and partnering with us in the Lord's work in West Asia. Thank you for giving, for standing with us, for kneeling with us for these many years. And we pray that the Lord will bless each one of you. Um, As he's called every single one of us, we are all called to be his hands and his heart and his voice to the people around us that we meet every day. And we pray that, you know, he will use you because he's placed these people in your lives so that he can reach into those lives uh, and, and make a difference and transform them. So have a blessed Father's Day. I'd like to invite you to stay up here. Um, we'd love to, as we go into prayer time, to be praying for you and your ministry as well. So I invite you all to, to join me in prayer. Father, thank you for Wayne and for Valerie and for the ministry that they have. I pray that you would continue to support and bless them as they do your work, um, Lord, in a, in a foreign country. And pray that you would uh, just just provide everything that they need, Lord. Um, Give them the strength to sustain them day in and day out. I pray that you'd provide for them so that their ministry would be supported and they don't have to worry about finances or supporting themselves in another way. Um, And Lord, we thank you for for the work that they do, translating the Bible into languages that people can understand and grow in their faith. And and for, for many, hear the word for the first time. So we thank you, Lord, for that great and precious ministry that you would continue to grow it, continue to bring others, Lord, into that ministry as well. And that uh, one day, Lord, um, every people group, every every ethnic group, Lord, in this country, in this world would have access to your word. Um, Lord, what a great day that'll be. And, and what an opportunity to spread your love and your grace and your mercy to, to every corner of this world. 
Uh, Lord, we also lift up these other concerns. We pray for uh, Gene's family um, and, and his loss this morning, Lord. Uh, we pray for comfort and peace to sustain them. And Lord, uh, the many other requests that are on our hearts and our minds, the other things that, that we are dealing with day in and day out, Lord, you know what it is that we need. You know what's going on in each one of our lives and, 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 and what, Lord, we need to get through that and the support that we need from you. So I pray that your spirit would be with each one of us and that you'd give us what we need each day, Lord. Um, just as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. I pray that you would do that for each one of us right now. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you both for being here. Uh, this time I want to invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. Um, as you can see, the Warbaugh Quartet is already up here getting in place. And so they're going to be blessing us with some music during this time. Statistically, they say most of the people do have both. And uh, I want to thank you and make this a blessing to you. And I'm going to take a little time out before we start to thank Bob Grimes because this guy yesterday put up with us more than I would. But <laughs> he's, a, he's a great man. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we're going to do a few songs here for you this morning and kind of brighten up your morning. First one is Some Bright Morning.
to us from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created. And now if you would open your hymnal to number 201 and join us in singing Grace Greater Than Our Sin.
Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to worship you together. Uh, thank you for all the fathers that are out there on this Father's Day. Thank you for all that they do for families and for their children. And especially, Lord, we also lift up those who, who may not be fathers themselves but have stepped into that role for others in their lives. And we thank you for the role that they play as well. Lord, we pray that you'd bless and sustain them this day. As we turn now to your word, pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, today we're going to be continuing our, our series through the book of James. And if you recall from last week when we looked at the opening verses, uh, we talked a lot about uh, trials and the adversity that we face and the benefit that can come from that. And so we are uh, in that passage called to endure trials, not just for the sake of enduring endurance itself, but so that God can grow and mature us in our faith as a result of it. And so in verse 13, James here makes this transition. He goes from talking about trials to temptation. And it may seem at first glance that he's really just continuing the same argument. In a sense, he is. He's he's building on what he was talking about before. But if we're to dig down deep, there's a difference between just mere trials or adversity and temptation itself. Trials deal with an external difficulty, something that happens beyond our control, often it's beyond ourselves, right? It's something that is that we are not necessarily the root cause of. We may be at sometimes, we may make bad decisions that can lead to trials, of course, and adversity and hardship. But but trials in that sense are are beyond ourselves. They're they're things that God may bring into our lives or allow to happen so that our strength our faith may be strengthened. Um, in a sense, they're morally neutral. They're not really the consequence of a decision we made, good or bad. Trials sometimes just happen, right? You can be the, the best, most moral person in the world and still go through hard times and still face trials. You could be the worst person in the world and have a life of ease where you face very few difficulties or adversities, right? So uh, trials are not necessarily the result or the consequence of our moral life. Uh, there's a story in John chapter 9 about... Uh, this blind man that Jesus and his disciples encounter. Um, he had been blind since birth, and everyone knew it, and his disciples took this opportunity to kind of question that, that thought. Right? They, they turned to Jesus and asked him, now why is this man blind? Right? Was it his fault? Was it, was it a sin of his parents that he was born this way? You know, they, had understood, they understood that the world worked in a sort of a, a, a cause and effect sort of way. He was blind, so therefore he must have done something wrong to deserve it. Or his parents must have done something wrong to deserve it. Uh, Jesus takes that opportunity to, to strike down that mindset. And Jesus says, this man is not blind as the result of his sin nor his parents. But he's blind so that God may be glorified in and through him. And Jesus takes that opportunity to then heal him and restore his sight. And of course, God is glorified and, and there is uh, praise given to God as a result of it. And so there's an example right there from scripture that of a trial this man had dealt with his entire life. But yet it was not the result of some moral failure on his part. Um, an example in our day may be someone who loses their job because of company downsizing. Right? That's a trial that someone may face. They may have been the best employee in that company, but because of the economic issues, because of uh, the company needing to downsize, they may or may not lose their job. Right? So that's not the result of, of, of their work necessarily, but the result of the consequence of, of the need to downsize. So that, that's an example of a trial. But temptations are a little bit different. Temptation is that, that internal enticement to sin. Temptation is that internal struggle to, to either follow God or to not follow God at any given moment. 
And, and what James is teaching us here is that every trial may bring temptation, but they're not the same. When we face trial, when we face adversity, we have the choice to still follow God and be faithful to him or turn away and, and sin. And that's what James is going to build on here in, these, in this passage. Temptation is a choice that's placed before us whether or not we will sin. There is a right versus wrong, a moral versus immoral choice that we have to make. You know, it may not be easy to see what that right decision is at the time, right? We may be confronted with a choice and we have to decide, and it may not be very clear to us in the moment what's the right decision and what's the wrong decision, but there still is a right decision and a wrong decision to make. Um, that's, that's the difference between, between trial and temptation. And so to take that earlier example, someone losing their job because of company downsizing, that's an adversity and a hardship and a trial that they may face, uh, you can take that same example, someone losing their job, but that, that job loss may cause them to question or doubt God's goodness and God's provision. It may cause them to turn their back on God, right, because of that trial that they were facing. See, there's where the temptation comes into play. You know, we lose our job or we don't, right? You know, that's, that's somehow external from ourselves, but we have a decision how we're going to react to it in the moment. And that's where that temptation comes in. We can, we are tempted, we're enticed to turn our back on God. We're enticed to, to turn away from how we know He would desire for us to live and try to, try to live our own way. And so that's, in a sense, kind of the, the difference between trials and temptations. And what James is speaking about here in this passage, verses 13 through 18, is dealing with temptation. He's already addressed the trial side of things. He's already addressed how to deal with adversity. And now he's bringing this internal struggle into the, into the equation. And so part of what it means to persevere under trial that he talked about in verses 1 through 12 is to avoid the temptation that comes with it. Part of what it means to stand strong and endure so that our faith may be mature and complete is to know how to handle those temptations that come with those trials that we face in life. And so that's, that's where he's going with this passage. And so the first thing he's encouraging us to do is to not buck responsibility, to not take the responsibility of temptation and sin and place it on someone or something else. We have a natural tendency to push responsibility off of ourselves and onto someone else. Take example, uh, the Garden of Eden, right? That first sin that Adam and Eve committed, right? When God confronts them with the, with the reality of their sin, what was their first response, right? They didn't own up to it completely, right? Adam says, it's, it's not my fault. You gave me this woman, right? And she's the one that gave me the fruit. And then Eve turns and says, well, it's not my fault. This, this serpent came and told me all about it, right? Their initial reaction wasn't to own up to their sin, but to turn and, and push that responsibility off of themselves. And we have a natural tendency to continue to do that. And so while God may allow or even bring trials or adversity into our lives, James makes it clear that God doesn't tempt us. God does not tempt us to then sin as a result of that. You see, it's because God is holy. And that's a term that we hear all the time, right? God's holiness. Uh, what that means is that God is undivided. He's one. He can't, you know, he's not, he's not going to give us new life and give us good gifts and then turn around and tempt us to, to turn our back on that. God's holiness means that he cannot uh, be in the presence of evil. Evil cannot be in his presence. So he's completely and wholly good. Therefore, tempting us to do evil and to sin would go against his very nature. Right? God's not going to dangle that fruit in front of us 
in order to tempt us to sin, right? That would go against who he is. God cannot hold us accountable to his holy, perfect standard if he's the root cause of our failure not to keep it. Does that make sense? So God's not going to say you have to live up to, to this sort of standard that I've set for you. You're not, you don't have to, he's not going to say you have to be the person I created you to be and then at the same time undermine that by tempting us to sin. That temptation to sin, that, that desire to move away from God and, and trust in ourselves does not come from God. And so we shouldn't push that off of ourselves and blame God for the temptation and the sin that we experience in our lives. Another temptation that, uh, that I think is very real, but he doesn't necessarily get into in this passage, but I think it's important for us to bring up, is the temptation to blame the enemy or the devil for our sin. Right? This idea, well, well, they wouldn't have sinned in the garden if that serpent hadn't come along and tempted them, right? Well, the serpent may have planted that idea in their mind. It was still Adam and Eve's choice to take the fruit and to eat it. Right? That, that fruit may have been pointed out to them, right? The, the enemy may have... have told them how, how good it may have looked, but it was still their choice. The, the word describes how Eve looked at it for herself, and when she realized that it was good and pleasing to the eye, that's when she took it and ate it. And so while the enemy may tempt us, while the enemy may, may dangle that fruit there, it's still our decision whether or not we're going to take the bait. And so we can't buck the responsibility of our sin onto the enemy either. Ultimately, the point that James is trying to make is that we need to take responsibility for our own sin and our own actions. We can't put the responsibility on God as if, as if we had no say in the matter. We can't blame the enemy for our problems. We must look to ourselves and, and our own evil desires as the culprit. And this is really a gospel issue if you think about it. We need to take responsibility for our own sin in order to realize our need for a Savior. If we're always pushing our responsibility and, the, and the, the cause of our sin onto someone or something else, we can never really own up to it ourselves. We can't take responsibility for it and then, therefore, trust in Christ as our Savior. If, we're not, if we aren't the cause of our sin, we won't ever recognize our need for a Savior. Does that make sense? And so it's, this is a gospel issue. It's about, it's about taking responsibility and owning up to the decisions we make in our lives. So then James talks about this cycle of sin that then is the result of our own, uh, our own evil desires. First, it talks about being dragged away by our own evil desire and enticed. This, this is the temptation step. Uh, when Allie and Josie and I were camping a couple weekends ago, uh, we, we tried our hand at fishing at the little fishing pond at the campsite. And it didn't exactly go as planned. Uh, we didn't catch anything, and Josephine did it for about two minutes and then was done. Uh, but, but this example here, what he's talking about, that this being dragged away by our own evil desires and enticed, it's kind of like that, that bait on a hook, right? From the fish's perspective, that looks like a pretty tasty snack, right? That looks like something good that we desire. And so, so, the fish latches on, and what happens? The hook then gets yanked and catches the fish, and then before it knows, it's being dragged away and being brought onto shore. You know, that's the same kind of thing that happens with us and our own evil desires. We are enticed. We see something shiny and good, and we want it, even though we know or may not know that it's that that it's not good for us. But yet we see it. We're enticed. We want to have it, and pretty soon, our the, we take the bait and we're hooked. And before we know it, we're dragged into sin. In Genesis chapter 4, when, when God is speaking to Cain about, uh, 
about the situation with Cain and Abel. Cain was about to, was jealous of his brother because of the sacrifices and, and had in his heart and his mind that he was going to kill his brother. God speaks to him and says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So you get this picture of, of sin is there and we have a choice. Are we going to open the door and let it into our lives? Or are we going to shut the door and shut sin out of it? That's the decision Cain had before him. And that's the decision we ourselves have, right? We have the option. We may be tempted, but we have the decision whether we're going to take the bait or not. And that responsibility is on ourselves. We have this evil desire and this longing for what God has prohibited. It's this part of us that's been infected and affected by sin. It's been infected and affected by sin. We don't need to look outside ourselves for the root cause of our temptation and our sin because it can be found right here inside of us. Someone or something else may dangle the bait, but we are the ones who take and bite down on it. We have that innate desire, and it's something that sin has caused in our lives. Sin has affected us in such a way that that we are naturally inclined to, to take that bait. And so... The first step in that cycle of sin is the temptation. But then that temptation, when you act on it, gives birth to sin. Sin happens when temptation is acted upon. And this is important because it helps us to realize that temptation itself is not a sin. Right? Being tempted is not a sin. Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness by the enemy, right? In Luke chapter 4, we see that described. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, he says, "If I have the wrong verse listed there for us but it reminds us that we have a high priest speaking of jesus who doesn't who is not unfamiliar with our temptation he's not unfamiliar with with temptation because he himself has been tempted like us in every way but the difference is that he has not sinned it's from hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 jesus himself experienced temptation but the only difference is he never gave into it and we do over and over again and so temptation itself will be a part of the Christian experience. You know, if Jesus faced temptation throughout his earthly life, shouldn't we expect to face the same? And so Christian maturity, what it means to be to grow in our faith and be more like Christ, it's not indicated by the infrequency of temptation because we're all going to face it. What shows that you're growing in your faith and what shows that you're becoming more like Christ is the infre- infrequency of succumbing to temptation. It's giving into it less and less and less as you grow in your faith. That's the mark of a, of a strong Christian. That's the mark of someone who's maturing in their faith. Temptation will always be a part of our lives. It's whether or not we are going to take the bait and give into it. So sin itself is anything that contradicts God's character and purpose. He created us to live in a, rela- in a relationship with him and reflect his character and his goodness in the world. And anything that gets in the way of that is sin. I think we often have too narrow of a view of sin as something bad that we do, but sin is much more encompassing than that. It includes our thoughts, our words, as well as our actions. It's things that we've done and things that we've left undone. It includes our motivations. We can be doing the right thing for the wrong reason, and that's still sin as well. And sin can also be intentional and unintentional. We can do things on purpose that we know are wrong, and we may do things that we on accident that are still wrong and that are still sin. 
And so we cannot experience God's grace and forgiveness if we're unwilling to acknowledge that in our lives and unwilling to acknowledge our responsibility for it. And so we are tempted. Then when we act on that temptation, that is sin. And then when we sin, when we act on that, that then gives birth to death. The natural result of sin is spiritual death. Romans 3.23 said, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And a few chapters later, in chapter 6, verse 23, Paul says that the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death is separation from God for eternity. And so that's the natural consequence. That's what we've earned for our sin and our part in that. And I think spiritual death also includes the hardening of our heart now. As we sin, as we continue to give into temptation and sin, our heart becomes hardened more and more and more. And I call this the cycle of sin because what happens is as we do that, as our heart becomes hardened, it becomes easier the next time we face temptation to give into sin. And then our heart becomes a little bit more hardened. And then the next time we face temptation, it's even easier to give into that temptation the next time. And so as you go down the cycle, it's like a downward spiral. The more we give into temptation and sin, the more hardened our heart becomes and the easier it is to then give into temptation again the next time. So if we just were to cut off our, our conversation here, that would be some pretty bad news. It seems pretty hopeless to be lost in this cycle of sin. But we see here that James talks about how that cycle of sin can be broken. God is a good, loving Father who can break that cycle of sin in our lives. Instead of tempting us to sin, God gives us only what is good and beneficial. And it's His good, not ours. Sometimes we get a little confused about that. We may not see the good that God gives us in the moment. We may be upset about it, but yet God is the one who is good. And we must trust that what he gives us and what he does for us is for our ultimate good. In Luke 11, 11 through 13, Jesus talking about, talking about God says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. We need to remember not to hold God to the standard of our earthly fathers. As Maria reminded us, our, our earthly fathers are good, and I was blessed to have a great father myself, but all earthly fathers are, are going to fall short at some point. We all make mistakes. Trust me, I know I'm a father now myself. We make mistakes. And none of us are perfect. And so we shouldn't hold God to the standard of our, of our earthly fathers. We should, as earthly fathers, strive to be more and more like our heavenly father who is good and perfect. And so how, how does he break the cycle of sin? He gives us the gift of new life. Where sin only brings death and destruction, God breaks the cycle by giving us new life through the word of truth. I mentioned two passages earlier, Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. And I kind of cut them a little short. I stopped with the bad news, and I just want to remind you of the good news of Christ that those passages teach us. Romans 3.23 said, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then verse 24 says, And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gift that God gives us, even though we don't deserve it. He breaks the cycle of sin by giving us new life in Christ. And it's through the word of truth, which is the gospel. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. God has provided that Savior for us in Jesus Christ. He died and rose so that our sins could be forgiven. Religion says, 
Religion talks about what we must do for God. The gospel teaches us what God has done for us. That's the difference. God has already done for us through Christ what we could never do for ourselves. And so how do we live out this new life when we're confronted with temptation? As I mentioned, the cycle of sin leads to a hard heart, which makes it easier to get lost in that cycle. But the new life through Christ softens our hearts and equips us to better deal with temptation in the future. So what we can do is we can follow Jesus' example, and first we can allow Scripture to speak into our lives. In Luke 4, every time that the enemy tempted Jesus, Jesus responded with Scripture. He allowed Scripture to to become such a part of his heart and his mind that when he was tempted, he was able to respond positively with Scripture. And we must do the same. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to... We need to hide God's word in our heart. We need to know God's word. We need to memorize scripture if we're able. We need to know what God is like in and through scripture so that when we're confronted with temptation, we know how to respond in a Christ-like way. We can't hope to be like Christ if we don't know what he's like. And the way we can do that is by knowing his word. And also, when we do sin, we need to learn to trust in God's grace and mercy to sustain us. Hebrews four fifteen and 16, I talked about how we... How, how that passage teaches us that, that Christ has been tempted in every way, just as we have, but we have not. But yet he did not sin. Verse 16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Even when we fail, we have a faithful, loving God and Father who sustains us and forgives his children. That's good news, because that cycle of sin will get us. We're going to be tempted, and there's times where we're going to give into that temptation. And, and in those moments, we need to be reminded that we do have a gracious, loving Father who has already given us that forgiveness and grace and mercy we need in Christ. It's like a dad watching his children learn to ride a bike. The Father is not upset when they fall off time and time again. But how filled with joy is that dad when, when they see their child get back up and get back on that bike and try again? That's like what, how God sees us. When we sin, it's like we fall off that bike. And God doesn't desire that we just stay down and stay like that. He desires that we get back up and get back on again. And it's by his grace and his mercy that we're able to do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of your son and the gift of new life that we have through him, that, that the cycle of sin in our lives can be broken and that we can put our hope and our trust in you Uh, for the forgiveness and grace that we need. Sustain us, Lord, that even when we do fall, even when we do succumb to temptation and sin, remind us of the forgiveness and the grace that we have in you. And to Christ we pray. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing the first verse of Amazing Grace, number 202, first verse.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.